You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Look for CUW in the sponsor section. A familiar voice here on Faith and Family, uh, or here on Worldwide KFUO, that you haven't heard in a while. And that's because uh, the Lord has brought him to a, uh, a new vocation, a new position. The Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Cloa is now Director of Collections Operations for the Museum of the Bible. Dr. Cloa, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you very much. It's good to talk with you again. Glad to have your voice on KFUO again today and learn more about uh, your new position. You served at Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis for quite some time and also led a Bible study here in the St. Louis area at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere. It was broadcast on KFUO for quite a while. And uh, in the last uh, what year or two, uh, we're uh, appointed a position at Museum of the Bible. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that how that all came to be, the Museum of the Bible we've talked a little bit about here on Faith and Family, but uh, how you got connected with Museum of the Bible and um, what you'll be doing there. Great. Um, thank you. Yeah, I've actually only been with Museum of the Bible since July, so uh, it's uh, not quite four months, uh, so it's fairly recent. Um, I got connected uh, really quite tangentially. Uh, they have uh, some scholarship programs and student programs where they can uh, be involved in uh research and looking at uh, Greek New Testament manuscripts and uh, provided some resources for that. So over the years, I've had uh, maybe six or seven students from Concordia Seminary involved in that uh, kind of research. Really a good program. And so uh, so I suppose that uh, some people uh, at the Museum of the Bible uh, knew of me through that, and, and I knew of uh, several other people through uh, academic work and conferences and things like that. So... Uh, so they contacted me uh, and um, described the position. It, it took a little while, quite a while actually, to sort out what it was all about and, and whether this would be uh, uh, helpful to, well, to the museum and to uh, obviously the concern about Concordia Seminary. Uh, but in the end, uh, decided to, to come and be a part of this. How would you describe the Museum of the Bible and all that uh, that it entails? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's. Uh, I, I think the first word is big. <laughs> it's. Uh, it really is an amazing uh, organization, and specifically the museum in D.C. Here, I mean, the, <clears throat> the organization is, is involved in many things, including uh, archaeological digs in Israel. Uh, as I said, the scholars program, their student programs. They they do some curriculum sorts of things for uh, elementary schools and and uh, home schools. Um, but the main focus over the last couple of years is certainly the museum here in Washington, D.C. And uh, uh, it opens on, uh, well, the grand opening is on Friday this week. Uh, it opens to the public on Saturday. And uh, it's just two blocks south of the Air and Space Museum in, in D.C. It's about a four-minute walk. And um, it's, it's truly amazing. Um, uh the content, the uh, the architecture, the uh, the collection itself um, is uh, is simply uh, really it's really hard to describe how impressive it really is. Have you had the opportunity to tour it as a as a visitor would tour it? Uh, well, I've yeah, been through it uh, over the last uh, couple of months. I've been back and forth here several times. Uh, so, so my area of responsibility is uh, the collection, the curatorial staff, the uh, registrars who take care of the artifacts themselves, um, 
a lot of uh, verifying and checking of uh, labels and information on display in the museum. So, so the last couple of months have been pretty busy uh, making sure that everything is uh, exactly right. And uh, so, yeah, I've been through the floor floors actually many times with the artifact uh, and uh, uh, walked through it again yesterday, and it, it looks uh, really amazing. Tell me about the collections. Where where have these artifacts come from? What what kind of work does it take to put together collections like this? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. So, in the museum itself, uh, currently there are forty one uh, different lenders who have uh, loaned objects uh, for display in the museum, uh, as well as the Museum of the Bible's uh, collection. Um, uh, the Museum of the Bible collection is about 3,500 items at this point, uh, but it, it continues to grow, uh, some through direct acquisitions, but mostly through donations. Um, a large number of those donations have come through the Green Collection, uh, others with the National Christian Foundation, uh, which are permanent uh, donations. Uh, but there are also... Uh, uh, a large number of items on, on sort of long-term loan. For example, the Israeli Antiquities Authority uh, has a 20-year loan agreement with us, and they have uh, somewhere around 700 items uh, in the museum, just fantastic uh, archaeological material that uh, you really won't see anywhere else in the world uh, because they dug them up you know, straight out of the ground in Israel, and uh, it's beautiful items. So it's it's really a uh, it's there's about 3,100 uh, total items on display in the museum uh, on the various floors, and those will range from uh, uh, from Babylonian materials, uh, you know, cuneiform sorts of things, uh, all the way on up to uh, modern translations of the Bible uh, to show the range of uh, uh, how the Bible has impacted uh, all around the world. Um, it's just really difficult to summarize really uh, everything that's in here. Let's let's talk briefly about some of the the older uh, artifacts you mentioned. Cuneiform. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that. The the pieces that you have in the collections there. Sure, uh, uh, there are some items from uh, from Nebuchadnezzar, uh, a barrel seal. You know, these as these uh, rulers conquered things and and garnered their power, uh, they tended to like to tell everyone about that. <laughs> so. So there are uh, uh, any number of uh, items uh, around the world, and we have several here that uh, you know give boasts of what they've built, of who they've conquered. Hmm. Um, and uh, so there's a, a barrel cylinder of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we actually just recently acquired uh, a brick a, uh, from one of his temples. We won't have it in the museum until January. Uh, but a large brick uh, that, that boasts of his uh, accomplishments, uh, so pretty typical of what you would see in the ancient Near East uh, around the time, of course, you know, Babylon we all know about from the Old Testament. Um, but, uh, yeah, all, this is how rulers in the ancient world acted. They would boast of their glory. And, of course, as we know from the Old Testament, that tended to uh, uh, not make uh, God too happy. <laughs> Walk us through the the life of an artifact like that, how it it. it once discovered, uh, or even discovering it, and then how it, uh, it its journey into uh, an exhibit at the museum? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, and that's actually been a lot of the focus of my uh, uh, kind of work the last couple of months is to uh, uh, to trace all that history and, and uh, help uh, tell some of that history in the museum. Um, 
you know, for archaeological items, the ideal is uh, you have a dig that's uh, sponsored by a, uh, a genuine archaeologist uh, or a uh, university, and it's uh, well documented. And um, uh, much of this really took place in the 19th century into the early 20th century uh, in places like modern-day Iraq or Egypt, um, especially for the items in the museum, uh, you know, modern-day, you know, the Middle East, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, many of these ended up in universities, many ended up with private collectors, um, universities and museums tend to hold on to their things, uh, but items that ended up in the Museum of the Bible tended to come through private collections in various ways, and, um, uh, uh, you know, so you've traced the sale of those and the transfer of those until they finally ended up in the uh, Museum of the Bible collection. So the antiquities uh, that are owned by Museum of the Bible uh, really came from uh, the, the private market, um, the, as I said, the Israeli Antiquities Authority items, uh, they, you know, the Israeli government essentially owns those, so, so they can trace directly from a dig uh, to, to possession, to display. Um, but it's, it's, it's actually a pretty fascinating uh, uh, line of research to, to track uh, uh, the history of ownership of an object. It's called provenance. And um, helping people understand not only you know, what was the item first used for, uh, but how did it impact uh, people, you know, especially manuscripts? Uh, who was using a manuscript? Uh, where was it being used? Um, uh, what other people had access to it? How did that shape other translations or other editions or other manuscripts? Uh, so, so that's uh, been a lot of the research as well, is, is how these manuscripts as individual manuscripts have been influential and uh, used throughout their history. What are what do you aim for? What are you looking for in artifacts? What makes something an an artifact or a piece that would be useful and and meaningful in a collection at Museum of the Bible? Yes, uh, again, good question. Uh, the, well, let me start with kind of the overall uh, goal of the museum, I guess you'd say. So, our, you know, the goal is to engage all people with the Bible, uh, and and so the the intention is to present the Bible, you know, really on its own terms. Um, uh, without, uh, um, I guess you use the word proselytizing, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's laid out to describe the history of the Bible, uh, the narrative of the Bible, and the impact of the Bible. So on the history floor uh, is where you'll find the manuscripts, um, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the Luther translation, the uh, first Spanish translation, all those, you know, everything in the history of the uh, uh, production and copying and finally translation and, and printing of the Bible. All that's on one entire floor. And, uh, you know, for someone like me, that's, that's where I spend all my time. Cause it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's to me the most interesting. Um, the, and that's actually the top floor. So it's, you kind of start with the impact, go up to the narrative and then finish with the history. The, um, the narrative floor is one that I think people will probably find the most interesting because it's it's highly interactive. Uh, it begins with a uh, video, two videos actually, one that gives the Old Testament narrative in about uh, 13 minutes. Uh, a second gives the New Testament narrative beginning in about, uh, that lasts about 11 minutes, uh, both very well done. Uh, and, and you enter that floor and kind of trace through, you know, Genesis all the way down through, you know, Revelation. 
And then uh, there's a reconstruction of a village uh, of Nazareth, really, uh, full-size replica, uh, stone for stone matching, some buildings that have been excavated. Uh, there's uh, reenactors on site to help uh, interpret what life was like in Nazareth and and some of the events around uh, Jesus and his life. And uh, and it ends up at the Sea of Galilee, so it kind of you know narrates through the, the life of Jesus there. Uh, I think that that's where people will find a lot of very interesting things and uh, the, the actual story of the Bible uh, being described is on that narrative floor. And then the impact floor is um, uh, what has the impact of the Bible been on society and culture. And because the museum's in D.C., it, it pretty much focuses on how has it impacted American culture, uh, although there are certainly... Um, uh, other other cultures, other countries represented, but but the focus is certainly uh, America. So it gets into things like uh, how has the Bible shaped uh, architecture, uh, how has it shaped art, uh, how has it shaped uh, uh, social forces like justice, um, human care and compassion, um, uh, and then there's a section on uh, you know the American. Uh, founders and and what impact uh what role the bible played in in uh, the history of america so uh the artifacts to get back to your original question uh the artifacts are chosen to uh kind of help tell that story to illustrate that story uh and of course for their uh unique contribution to that story uh they're not just sort of -of run-of-the-mill items that you'd find anywhere uh but some very uh important and uh really unique items that help tell that story now will you uh will you be hiding out in the uh as a reenactor uh going you know covert <laughs> and hiding out there uh, during the the opening this week uh, no no i don't have any acting lessons <laughs> and uh i'm probably too old and uh <laughs> I, I, I hang out on the history floor so you won't be a, a villager You're hanging out no, on the, the history floor right. what are some of the the pieces that um that are very significant to you on the history floor yeah, well, I'm a New Testament guy, so I, I gravitate very quickly to the New Testament items. Um, uh, there's there's some fantastic uh, Old Testament pieces, by the way. Um, some some uh, small fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, uh, as well as some replicas of the important ones, like the, the Great Isaiah Scroll, um, uh, the Copper Scroll. There's there's facsimiles, but Museum of the Bible owns a few small fragments of, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, very nice display about the history of those and the importance of those for understanding the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Um, but for me, you know, you go past that first part of the exhibit, and then you get into uh, uh, New Testament and um, uh, translation of the Old Testament to Greek. Uh, one of the really impressive items is a, a Psalter uh, translated into Greek uh, from the 3rd century, uh, formerly in the co- uh, collection of uh, the Bodmer Library a beautiful papyrus manuscript, very well preserved. Uh, another really fascinating item is the uh, Codex Clamaki Rescriptus, uh, which is a 6th, um, a 7th century uh, Greek manuscript of the New Testament, some of the Old Testament as well, but which was uh, subsequently upalimpsest. Uh, washed, it's called a palimpsest, where a later generation will reuse the uh, parchment and put another text over the top of it. <laughs> Uh, so there's uh, a top writing, which is in Syriac, and underwriting, which is in Greek. 
And uh, there's been some significant research on the manuscript, uh, radio spectral imaging uh, done on it, so you can see the multiple layers. Uh, there's some interactive features on that. That's a pretty important item that continues to be studied uh, in scholarly circles. Uh, one of my favorite is, uh, is is actually only half of a page, uh, but it's the uh, it's called the Wyman fragment, uh, first discovered in Egypt in 1950, and it contains the oldest section of uh, Romans, well, the end of Romans four and the beginning of Romans five, uh, that's that's currently in existence. Uh, so it's it's kind of a small, you know, I'd say maybe six inches by four inches, something like that, but uh, pretty important for the history of the New Testament text. Um, I mean, I can go on and on. There's there's uh, medieval manuscripts, some some uh, really important Latin manuscripts actually uh, illustrate the history of the Latin Bible. Uh, some uh, early church father texts, uh, which uh, have yet to be really studied in detail. Um, yeah, and then you get into the Reformation, and uh, you know the first Greek New Testament printed, uh, first Hebrew Bible printed. Of course, Luther and Tyndale, and all those first editions are are on the floor. And it's kind of cool. There are like life-size video screens of Luther uh, telling his, you know, why he translated and how he translated. There's a, there's another one of William Tyndale. Um, uh, there's another one of, uh, of, um, uh, I'm trying to blank. Anyway, there's several of these, uh, mm -hmm. so that it's not just here's a book, but there's a, a video of a live person, you know, reenacting, uh, helping us understand those items. You mentioned some of the, the older pieces in the, the collections there. Help us understand what it takes to preserve these pieces, these artifacts properly. You were talking about some of the fragments yeah. of the, the yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls. And I remember back in the late 90s seeing some uh, in an exhibit in Chicago. And it, it was quite an elaborate setup just to, mm -hmm. uh, to have them on exhibit. Tell us a little bit about that process of preserving these artifacts. Yeah, and that's, that's a great question. One of the challenges is the more that uh, these are, are uh, uh, brought out for display, the more risk there is in uh, deteriorating the item, especially, uh, you know, once they're encased in glass with appropriate uh, preservation, um, uh, you know, they, they can last, you know, rel relatively indefinitely. It's actually the light that is uh, very problematic because it, it tends to darken ancient materials. Uh, so um, two things are done. The, the glass in which they are uh, displayed is, uh, uh, is, is, uh, has certain properties to prevent light from affecting it. Uh, the lighting on the history floor is darker and of a different type than you'll find in other places in the museum. Uh, and uh, we have a, a regular rotation schedule uh, to move some items out and replace them with other items in the collection. So that they're not, you know, constantly subject to uh, uh, to any potential problems. Uh, but uh, so there's there's actually a, a significant number of precautions taken uh, to ensure that uh, you know turning pages, things like that, so mm -hmm. that the same page is not always open. Uh, to make sure that uh, we're good stewards of the items, and that 100 years from now, you know, someone else will be able to study them and appreciate them. I would imagine humidity is pretty uh, closely regulated as well. Of course, yeah. Humidity, uh, uh, air movement, all those things are measured. Uh, we have, uh, it's pretty sophisticated, you know, these little little measuring devices that are all connected to Wi-Fi that are all monitored daily, so any issues that come up can be spotted immediately. That it's it's quite amazing. I'm really looking forward to uh, to making a trip to see it. Hopefully, in the the coming year and and learn more. Are there uh, 
you, you mentioned the the, uh, the exhibit of Luther and a video explaining, um, you know, his approach to translating. Are there other uh, exhibits or, or sites to see in the museum that you think would be of particular interest to uh, your Lutheran friends? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Besides well, Luther, the whole museum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tyndale was kind of Lutheran. You know, he wanted to be anyway. Um <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's uh, and it's it's a fair observation, right? It's, it's certainly not presenting a confessional Lutheran perspective. Sure, uh, you know, that's that's certainly a fair observation. Again, the the overall uh, mission is to engage all people with the Bible and to to really allow people who you know know maybe something about the Bible, but but not really much at all, uh, to come in and really explore it on their own on you know multiple levels. Do you want to study? how the Bible has shaped culture. Do you want to study this, the story itself? Do you want to look at some of the history? So, so, um, so it is intentionally um, uh, aimed at just, just giving people a chance to, to, to hear it, to see it uh, on its own terms, and, and hopefully, you know, follow up later. Um, but uh, as Lutherans, of course, we, we, we like the Bible an awful lot, and, uh, <laughs> and I think... Uh, I think that uh, a typical uh, churchgoer, you know, member of a Lutheran congregation would very much appreciate, especially the narrative floor. I think that does a fantastic job of just walking through the overall scope of the scriptures. Uh, uh, you know, what was it like in the first century? How did that impact the way that Jesus taught? Um, I think that would be, uh, especially for, uh, it's very in, uh, interactive, a lot of video, a lot of uh, uh it's really stunning. It's it's hard to describe on the radio because it is such a visual uh, 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 display. But I think that that narrative floor would would certainly be of the most interest to somebody. Uh, and you might even start there. The, the layout of the museum starts with the impact, goes to the narrative, and then finally the history. But I think it might be better to to start with the narrative and then work your way around uh, to the other places. With the the grand opening later this week, uh, I'm sure an exciting time at Museum of the Bible. But what lies ahead for you in your work uh, in the coming year with Museum of the Bible? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, there, there's, uh, um, well, just because the museum opens doesn't mean that uh, the uh, the items uh, are are finished and we're done with them. So, so immediately, you know, we we have teams that will. Uh, uh, see how the uh, visitors interact with the items. Are there any issues that, that come up that need to be addressed? Um, uh, so that's, uh, you know, our primary concern, of course, from my perspective, is, is the care of the artifacts. Um, and there are, you know, there will be some, some things that we need to fix in terms of labels. Uh, we already know of some things that we probably could have said better or things like that. So that's already in process. Um, there's the uh, continuing care of the collections that we curate in uh, Oklahoma City, where I'm based, and uh, we're actually receiving in December uh, the uh, American Bible Society collection, which is about 50,000 items. So, uh, so that'll, that'll keep be my you busy. Task is, yeah, it'll <laughs> keep you busy for a while. Um, and uh, continuing to research the items themselves, uh, uh, both for how they're displayed in the museum in D.C., uh, but also uh, we do traveling exhibits around the country, uh, potentially some overseas. So we started development on some of those, and those will uh, uh, continue to be in process. We'll have a few of those out in the spring at some universities and uh, colleges. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it'll just continue to, to ramp up. Um, 
you know, the DC museum is certainly the biggest piece right now, but, but the other work will continue and, uh, continue to expand. Well, looking forward to, uh, to learning more about it, hopefully making a visit in the coming year and, uh, congratulations on your new position there in the exciting time of, uh, the grand opening of the museum of the Bible. My guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jeff Cloa, director of collections operations for museum of the Bible. Thanks so much, Dr. Cloa, for being my guest. Thanks, Andy. Good to talk. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Faith and Family is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to Sunday morning talking with Dr. Carl Fakencher about the parable of the talents. We'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on God's people going home in Ezra and Nehemiah. And it's This Week in Pop American Christianity with Chris Rosebro. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Did you know that migraine is a disabling disease affecting over 36 million Americans? The pain of migraine sufferers is often so bad their lives just stop. The American Migraine Foundation helps people living with migraine to find the support and treatment they need. If you, a friend, or a family member suffer from migraine, go to AmericanMigraineFoundation.org to learn more, find help, and get connected. Make your move against migraine. Want to be actively engaged in meaningful service and put your time and talents into action? Volunteer Connection engages, equips, and empowers individuals to serve the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and its national and international ministries at the International Center. Come join us as together we make known the love of Christ. To learn more about Volunteer Connection, please call 314-996-1629. Given, it's a word we seem to hear less in our world today. We believe the Word of God as it teaches Christ is given for you. That's what we at KFUO bring you, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Find the Give Now button at kfuo.org to support this mission, kfuo.org, or call 1-800-844-0524 to make your gift today.